Hello and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth. A warm welcome to Bible Teaching Talk number four in our present series with Brian Johnston. In this six-week series, Brian's taking us through the New Testament letter of Paul to the Ephesians. You uh, need to have your Bible ready if you're going to follow when Brian reads verses from Ephesians. So if you're following these studies, I hope, like me, you're feeling drawn to a deeper awareness of the greatness of God, which is what the Apostle Paul wanted for his readers at the church in Ephesus. So, now let's sit back and relax and listen as Brian gives us today's talk. Thanks, John. Do you ever interrupt yourself and derail your own train of thought? At times, it can be productive. God appears to have used this in the case of the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read it now, and I'd like to ask you to notice how it begins and ends in the same way. Paul has just got himself back to his original starting point after indulging in an aside. But it's an aside which, as it turns out, is highly instructive. Let's listen. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation it was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees. With these final words, Paul returns to his reason for beginning this prayer back in the very first verse. The cause or reason which sparked off his prayer is the material we covered last time from chapter 2 of this letter to the Ephesians. But I want you to notice with me what Paul says here during the time he got sidetracked, as it were. It's very interesting. After describing himself as Christ's prisoner, it's as if Paul moves quickly to deflect any sympathy vote. Paul wasn't one for wallowing in self-pity. Paul disregards his challenging circumstances by saying that he counts it an absolute privilege to suffer for such a cause as the one God's graciously entrusted to him. He then goes on to speak of his insight into the gospel and the opportunity of being able to preach it, just to be able to announce that Gentiles were now incorporated into the church which is Christ's body. Paul's sense of thrill is almost palpable as he adds that this was news which had been hidden from all past generations and just at this time in history God had been pleased to disclose this fact as being his eternal purpose and God was graciously using him, even Paul, as his instrument to make it known. No suffering could compare with the honour that Paul felt in being given this responsibility to disclose such stupendous divine truths to men and women. 
Paul shares a little more detail here about the glorious fact that all Christian believers, both Jew and Gentile, are now all one in the body of Christ, the church which is the embodiment of the divine Son who is its head. In effect, the church is the display unit for God to showcase his kindness and wisdom to the angels. Consistent with this, the Apostle Peter tells us that from the prophesying of the Old Testament prophets right through to the preaching of the New Testament evangelists, the angels in heaven have been most interested in the content of all those spirit-given messages about the sufferings and the glories of the Christ. The angels, Peter says, earnestly desire to look into the sufferings of Christ, which he suffered for his church in order to bring it to share eternal glory with himself. Doubtless, they're still learning from the persecution Christ still suffers whenever members of the body are persecuted on earth, so that Paul's own sufferings, which he's just mentioned, are included among those sufferings which are of intense viewing interest to angels. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul thinks that God has exhibited apostles like himself as a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And it was while Paul was at Ephesus that an evil spirit declared that he knew about Paul. All this information builds up an intriguing picture of celestial classrooms of angelic beings learning to appreciate more of God's manifold wisdom through the church. That's through us. Perhaps that's something to bear in mind whenever we struggle through trials which no one appears to be aware of. One day we know The Bible reveals to us that God once addressed a heavenly gathering and posed the question specifically to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Satan and others surely continue to observe very closely that man's great trial. In modern times, Denise was an athletic and popular 17-year-old who tripped up the stairs one day at school because all of a sudden her legs had become numb. After resting, she found she was now paralysed from the waist down. She was moved, as it happened, into the same rehabilitation centre as the Christian author Johnny found herself in. Very soon Denise was paralysed all the way down from below her neck. In another three weeks she was blind. She was diagnosed with rapidly progressive multiple sclerosis. Soon she could only mumble. Her mother came and read her Bible to her. Her faith remained strong, but in three years Denise was dead. Johnny reflected on how well Denise had taken her sufferings and how sad that there had been no witnesses who could glorify God for the testimony of her enduring faith. It was then her friends pointed out, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 to her, there are always angelic witnesses. Perhaps God is using you even now to complete his angel's education. So that's one practical way in which we can participate in this purpose of the ages surrounding the mystery of Christ's church, his body. But how else can we be involved? Well, chapter 4 tells us God through Paul has been giving us all this precious teaching in the first three chapters of this letter. But, you know, every sermon should have a so what. Paul's coming to his right now. He begins chapter 4 with a therefore. Listen out for it. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this is where the rubber hits the tarmac. This is where the teaching starts to get practical. The appeal here is that we should live in a way that's worthy of our gospel calling. We've glimpsed the church in glory, with its members raised and seated with Christ in heavenly realms, and how it's seen without defect in the eternal realm. But how are we managing to represent all this in the here and now? Our earthly quarrels and divisions are totally out of character as we seek to visibly express the body of Christ on earth, just as the first Christians did 2,000 years ago in New Testament churches of God in all the different localities. Individually, we are holy, but day by day, we are to live holy lives. That's another matter. Equally, we are all one in the body of Christ. But while we remain on earth, God desires that we should be visibly united. Not easy to achieve, is it? Paul prescribes a large dose of humility, gentleness, patience and loving tolerance in verse 2 so that we might preserve what he calls here the unity of the Spirit. Obviously, we need help in this matter, which is why the chapter talks about Christ ascending on high, leading captivity captive and giving gifts, included among which are evangelists and teachers. It's very interesting to see that this is a quotation taken from the 68th Psalm. Psalm 68 traces the sweep of Old Testament history as God brought his people out of Egypt and all through the desert and finally the Ark of the Covenant was brought up to Jerusalem and into the temple Solomon had built. Now Jerusalem is on Mount Zion and it's as if God then at last had ascended to his rightful place among his people. To assist the service of God back then, God had taken captive for himself the Levites and had given them back to the priests to assist with the people's worship. This is what Paul takes up as an analogy for the Lord, as he now gives not Levites, but evangelists and teachers to equip the individual believers, to promote Christian maturity in them, and overall with the end result that Christian unity on this earth should be reached. When we see the church described here in Ephesians 4 and verse 13, it's in the context of it becoming mature or attaining to a full-grown stature. And when we compare this with verse 16, which is clearly talking about the growth of the entire body, we realise that corporate maturity of the body must be intended even in verse 13. But how can the body mature as a whole other than through its individual parts? And that's certainly what's happening here, with gifted evangelists and teachers equipping individual believers so that they're no longer all at sea doctrinally. Instead, they speak the truth to one another in love. Please don't think this means that they're just learning to be honest or to speak home truths in a kindly way. No, the context shows that they're lovingly speaking doctrinal truth to other body members. 
That's indeed how they're all mutually becoming more stable. And the end result is measured by the body members together on earth attaining to genuine Christian unity. It's Christ's body on earth, in microcosm, in churches of God, just like the one at Ephesus, becoming physically what it already is in spiritual reality. It does this, or should I say we do this, by becoming visibly more united as a duty and function of our connectedness to other body members. I wonder how serious are we to help each other to mature as the body of Christ? Would we be prepared to set aside traditions and prejudices and sit down and explore the scriptures afresh for the sake of a greater visibly expressed Christian unity? That would surely give the angels something to talk about. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. Now, if you'd like the free transcript booklet, which goes with this series, just make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title Experiencing God in Ephesians. Now, our postal address first, and then the email address. Our postal address is Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now our email address sft at churchesofgod.info You can also download MP3 versions of past programmes. Go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk where you'll find our church website and other materials and you can also find some titles of Search for Truth booklets at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks and just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a a growing list of books there to download. So, thanks again for your interest. I hope you're finding these talks helpful and we've talked number five next week, so please join us if you can. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, from David, from our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. (laughs) 